the gestures of hospitality were a widespread custom among the people of God throughout their history. The people of the First Testament were in many ways a nomadic people, and they traveled a lot, moving about with their families and their flocks. And so hospitality was part of their survival, but also very much part of their culture. And in the stories that we have from those ancient ancestors of ours, hospitality was profoundly religious for them. Their hospitality was understood to be a reflection of the very hospitality of God. The story of Elisha in this first reading today, a delightful story, is one of the many examples of the hospitality of that time. We think, of course, of the classic story of hospitality of Abraham and Sarah, who welcomed the three strangers to their tent, only to discover that God had an amazing surprise for them that changed their lives. This same hospitality was continued in the experience and expectation of the people in the time of Jesus' own ministry. So often, he avails himself of the hospitality of the towns and the villages. And indeed, when he sends out his disciples, he instructs them to depend on such hospitality. Jesus even invited himself lots of times, Zacchaeus being an example, so that he might enter into the hospitality of the home. We think, of course, in Jesus' time, the post-resurrection story of the disciples of Emmaus, who invited the stranger into their home and then discovered who he really was. Our own Eucharistic experience is about divine hospitality. For it is God who invites us, welcomes us, feeds us. We cannot ignore what we do, what happens. To be a Eucharistic community is to be a hospitable one. To offer hospitality to a friend or a stranger was always seen as a sign of righteousness, like the woman of Shumen, who offered the prophet Elisha food for his journey and a place to stay. Perhaps the first recorded incident of a B&B in the Judeo-Christian tradition or Airbnb for today. Alicia's expression of gratitude was the same as that of the stranger who came to see Sarah and Abraham, the promise of an heir within the year. One thinks also of the encounter between Mary 
and the messenger of God, the angel, and the astonishing gift to humanity from the hospitality of Mary's womb. In public ministry, Jesus accepted invitations from sinners and outcasts. In fact, for him, there were no others. There were no outsiders. Everyone could be welcomed into the household of the Father. And Jesus tells us that as disciples, we are called to conform to him, to be so attached to his view of life and his way of life that whoever would receive us, whoever would encounter us, whoever would accept us is really receiving and accepting him and the God who sent him among us. But the opposite is also true. Whoever we accept, whoever we welcome, even with a simple gesture of offering a cup of cold water, is to welcome Christ. To ignore such a need is to reject the very person and presence of Christ in our midst. This statement in the Gospel today is a remarkable statement. Put it another way, to, to kind of let the point sink into us. If we, were turn, if we were to turn to someone and ask them, when you receive me, when, when you see me with your eyes, when you touch me with your heart, when you have an awareness of my presence, you see Christ. And what if the question is asked of us? Who do you see when you look at me? Another person could ask. And what do we hear ourselves responding? To that. With this in mind, the first part of today's gospel doesn't seem so jarring. In fact, I suggest that we read this gospel text from back to front. In most cases, we love our father, our mother, our children. We love them very much. We would do anything for them, and they for us. And so in so many ways, they are signs to us of the compassion and the love of God, of the presence of Christ in life. But do we love them more than we love Jesus? I think the question can lead us into a kind of comparison, a sort of competition. I don't think that's good. We're not competing for affection between Christ and our family. And so we would more likely say 
I love them because I love Christ. I couldn't live without them. But they don't replace the Lord. It's not a question of comparison, but rather an experience of being in communion, of going through one to be with the other, and of seeing the other back in the one who is Christ. This conformity with Christ, Paul says, begins with our baptism. It is baptism that calls us to see in the familiar attachments of life the very image and beauty of God. In these days, we find ourselves restricted somewhat from our usual experiences and gestures of hospitality. And in doing so, we become very much aware of how significant that interaction of affection and friendship really is for us and what it really means. But because it's, a, because it's also a spiritual energy, it's also a spiritual characteristic of us as faithful people, we have found ways to reach out to others because the bond of affection is so very strong, rooted as it is in the spiritual consciousness, and because our human imaginations are able to address these hardships and obstacles. So let us celebrate that we are able to do that, and let us take this lesson into the future, remembering not to forget that there are no restrictions to living in the love of Christ Jesus.